The year was 1847, in a small French province, a local parish priest had an idea. He approached a poet and a French commissioner of wine named Francis Capot, and he asked him if he would write a poem for the upcoming midnight mass and Christmas service at the local church. The man was shocked because he wasn't much of a church attender, but at the same time, he was honored to be asked, so he accepted the invitation. Very excited, he sat down to write the poem. Needing divine inspiration, he opened up his Bible to Luke chapter 2, verse 6. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available to them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace on those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. After he read Luke 2, he penned a poem that so many of us know as O Holy Night. After he finished, he realized that it wasn't just a poem, but it was a song in need of a musician's touch. So he went to his friend, Adolphe Adam, and asked him if he would be a part of it. But Adam was a man who many believe was Jewish. At the very least, he was not a follower of Jesus. So this was a day he didn't celebrate and a man he didn't worship. But at the same time, he felt compelled to be a part of this. So he put together the original score, and three weeks later, it was introduced at midnight mass at a Christmas Eve service. Quickly, it gained popularity, and it was loved and appreciated for its spiritual content, and it started spreading to other churches until the Catholic Church found out who had written it and who had composed it, and they immediately denounced the song, and it ended right there. Ten years later, a reclusive writer in the United States heard the song and realized that this needed to be shared with the world. So John Sullivan Dwight, an abolitionist, picked up the song. He loved the song's message, the, the overtones of Christ, but he also loved the undertones that addressed slavery. And so he pushed as hard as he could to make this song popular. He identified with verse 3, which we read just a moment ago. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains he shall break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. We call this the holy night 
But everything that has, has historically been called holy was broken on this night. In fact, in many ways, there was a redefinition of holiness that happened. For hundreds of years, things were set up a certain way. In fact, in the Old Testament, you see the temple and you see how it was built. And it was built on levels to experience the presence of God. You had the outer courts and then the inner courts and then the holy place and then the holy of holies. And so each level to advance to the next level, it became more exclusive. It was an exclusive thing until you got to the inside. And there only one person once a year could enter into the holy of holies, the high priest. So for the shepherds, dirty and worn, to enter in was unacceptable because there were laws about cleanliness. For the magi, for these wise men who were possibly practitioners of foreign religion, to enter any farther than the outer courts would have been unheard of. But in one swoop, everything changed. In one declaration, in one proclamation from the angels, all of a sudden, it now became, come as you are. And those that were deemed unacceptable were brought into the presence. The shepherds, dirty and worn, came into the presence of God. The magi, unfit, didn't just come into his presence. They were the first people, the first humans to receive the message of the Lord and then proclaim it to the people around them. Those that were deemed unworthy, unacceptable, unfit. There's a lot of parallels between Luke 2 and our song, O Holy Night. Like when you consider that the song was inspired by a forgotten parish priest, and it was written by a local poet and wine distributor, and then it was composed by a man who wasn't a follower of Jesus. And then it was made famous by a reclusive writer in America who had an agenda for the song. But the fact is, it is a song that pointed people to Jesus. And we learn so much from the spiritual content of the song. But I think we learn even more from the irreligious context of the song. Jesus came to transform. He came with a transformative message, and he came to redefine order. He opened up his arms of love to those that the system, the religious, the, the institution deemed as unworthy. He gave worth by his invitation. This point in Luke 2 is the axis of history. It is the tipping point. It's the night that everything changed. It was a redefinition of holiness. It was not about inclusivity or exclusivity. It's about alienation versus reconciliation. God called us, all of us, back to him. Verse 10, it says, I will bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. You see, I, I don't care who you are. I don't care where you're from. I don't care what you've done or what you wore or what you smell like or what you have in your hands or what you don't have in your hands. You are invited into the presence of the Lord today. You are invited to experience his joy. And we look at this and we so often underestimate, don't we? We, we don't appreciate the explosion of goodness 
that happens in the Christmas story. We don't properly understand the joy that has been made to every single one of us. But all of a sudden, it just happened. In an instant, the Messiah is here. The Savior is born. And it came in a way that was totally unexpected. As I read and reread this story this week in Luke 2, the word suddenly kept popping up and grabbing me and gripping me. And I'll tell you, as, as a lifelong Chicago Cubs fan, growing up every year, we said, this is our year. This is going to be it. And then about a month into the season, we'd all be saying, just wait till next year. Just wait till next year. The Cubs were known as the, the lovable losers. Every year there was this anticipation that we'd finally break through, that this was going to be our year, that we'd break the curse of, of losing and we'd finally win a World Series. And then suddenly, in 2016, it happened. The Cubs had waited for 108 years for this moment, 108 years of anticipation, of waiting, and now it's here. Suddenly it's upon us and people didn't know what to do. When, when the final out happened, I just stood there in front of my TV in stunned silence for minutes. I called my dad at like 1 o'clock in the morning. All these years of anticipation. Suddenly is an interesting thing. Because it often happens after years of anticipation. You look back into the Old Testament, you see Joseph, and suddenly he is brought into the presence of the king, into the courts of the king. But it was 13 years of exile. It was 13 years of praying and seeking for God's help. We see Moses who went from prince to, to shepherd and he was out in the wilderness year after year after year and suddenly the presence of God shows up in the form of a burning bush. We, we see here in Luke 2 that the angel shows up and then the choir comes suddenly and they proclaim that a Savior is born and the presence of God is among them and it seems so Sudden. Yet there were hundreds and hundreds of years of buildup of anticipation for this moment. People had spent their entire lifetimes praying for this moment. Now let's take just a moment to dissect this before we completely buy in because I read this and I'll be honest, there's just this little bit of a cynic within me. I think, okay, this is this holy moment. This is the thrill of hope that we've been talking about through this sermon series. And so they have the thrill of hope. But why? When I read it, nothing's actually happened yet, right? There's a proclamation, but they haven't gotten anything. Their financial life hasn't improved. They haven't gotten gifts. The economy's still the same. The job numbers are still the same. The Fed hasn't decreased the interest rates. In fact, the, the poverty rates, everything, it's the same. The, the shepherds are called to take this, this journey. They had to get on a crowded airplane to go into a city where there's no hotel availability. They got to sleep in a, in a room with animals. They give gift in the gift exchange, but, but there was no exchange. They didn't get anything back. Feels like some of our Christmases, doesn't it? And so as I read this, I, I think about how we are so conditioned by our culture to look inwardly, to look and see what, what we want. Our culture has, has created this consumerist mindset where we always look at, at every interaction as, what can I get out of this? What's in this for me? 
And so the shepherds, I'm thinking, what do they actually get out of this? It's interesting because recent studies show that there is a rise in self-givers around the holidays. Retailers actually have a name for this. They call it gift conversion. Where people, they they go out to the mall or they go online to to shop and, and to buy something for a friend. And they come back, not with a gift for their friend or family, but they come back with a gift for themselves. And so marketers have actually become really attuned to this, and, and they have all these different marketing efforts. So there's one from J. Crew called To You From You. There's another one that's called What's Your Gift? And so let's just have a moment of honesty, okay? A little group confessional here. How many of you, show of hands, have ever gone out with good intentions to buy something for a family member or a friend, but you've actually come back, not with a gift for them, but a gift for yourself? Show of hands, this is a safe place. Shame on you. Shit, no, I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. We go into this holiday season, and, and it's natural to start thinking about ourselves. And maybe for you it's not gifts, okay? But maybe for you it's just this, this internal attitude of, man, do I, do I really have to be around this person? I, I don't want to. And it becomes all about what, what, what do I want to do? It becomes about what we can, can get or what we can take away from an experience. In some ways, that, that's, that's how we read the story with the cynic in mind. But the spirit of Christmas and the spirit of Jesus is very different. It's about what can be given, not what can be taken away. And so we read the story. What, what do the shepherds actually get out of this story? Number one, the fulfillment of the prophecy of the coming Messiah. The fulfillment of the prophecy of the coming Messiah. And number two, the promise of the presence of the king. The promise of the presence of the king. Now, I'm not sure that we properly appreciate this. I'm not sure we properly estimate the incredible thing that happens when you step into the presence of the Lord. That is what they are given. This is what they receive. It's that simple axiom. It's not what's underneath the Christmas tree, but it's who's around the Christmas tree. It wasn't about the work that Jesus would do for them. It was about the worth that he would store within them. In his presence comes peace. In his presence comes joy and fulfillment. The soul feels its worth in the presence of the king. For years, Tara and I would, we led a a college-age small group in our home. And at one time, we had a a young guy in our group. His name was Daniel. I I talked about this on on Midweek Live this week. But Daniel came to the group with his girlfriend, Catherine. And Daniel wasn't a Christian, but... She kind of drug him along, and he was respectful, he was polite, he would listen to our discussions, and so we got to get to know him over time a little bit, and one time we were sharing prayer requests, and we asked Daniel if there was anything that, that he'd like us to pray for, and he shared about how he had the, his tooth had been hurting, and so he had, was going in to have this emergency dental surgery, and if it didn't get fixed, then, then it was going to cause some severe damage and long-term effects, and so he needed to have it done, but he was very anxious because he didn't have the money to pay for it. And so we prayed for him and we encouraged him. And the next week he went to go get his dental surgery. And when he was finished with the procedure, he came to the, to the desk, to the receptionist, and he went to get his bill. And when they handed it to him, they saw that it was zeroed out, that there was a zero balance. And he was kind of confused. He's like, I think you might have the wrong thing. And he asked some more questions and, and he found out that, that we, the church, we, we had paid for his, his dental surgery. 
And he was so overwhelmed. He was so overjoyed. Like, he, he, he couldn't figure out what was going on. And he, he came back to our group the next week on Wednesday night. And he was so overjoyed, so excited. He could not believe that we would do something like that for him, that, that he wasn't even a believer. He wasn't a Christian. He wasn't a member of the church. What, why, why would we do something like that? And he began talking, and he, he shared with us. He said, you know, I, I joined this group not believing that God exists. But I believe now because I've seen something in you that's different. Being around you guys, being in your presence, the the love that you have for each other, the love that you've shared to me is unlike anything I've ever experienced. And now I know that God is real. A couple weeks later, he was, Daniel was baptized into Christ and started to follow Jesus. And when you step into his presence, he begins to change you. You can't enter into the presence of God and come away unchanged. It's a life-altering, heart-altering, paradigm-shifting experience that we have. It's a holy moment. It's a redefining moment. I love the way that this song describes the holy night. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. O night divine, O night when Christ was born, O night, O holy night, O night divine. To experience the presence of God elicits a response within us. We can't stay still. We have to respond. And the song, it it leads us, it it builds to a certain moment, and it crescendos to, to a point musically. You read the poem and you see that it builds the sentence structure, the exclamation. It all builds to this one moment in the song to fall on your knees. The Hebrew word here means to kneel or to bow. To give reverence to God out of an act of adoration. To be attuned to him in his presence. Psalm 95 verses verses 6 and 7 says, come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. This is a moment of awe before a mighty God. And the song doesn't ask a question, will you consider to fall on your knees? No, it's a command to drop to your knees in humble adoration of our Lord and Savior. It is not a whisper into the crib of a baby. It is a shout from the fields, and it is, he is mighty, and he is merciful, and he is powerful, and he is present. He is all-knowing. He is all-caring. He is accepting. He is loving. He is gracious to a people who do not deserve grace. And he extends his grace to us, to those of us who do not deserve it, so we can be in his presence this Christmas season. See, whatever circumstances you find yourself in today, enter them with praise, with praise for our God. When the suddenlies of life show up in your midst, what's your response? Is your response to bicker, to be annoyed, to speak in anger, or say something that you know you'll regret later on? The shepherds respond to the suddenly in verse 15. Let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. 
there's a response to this experience. The response is to go experience fulfillment. They have been given an invitation. But just because they've been given an invitation doesn't mean that they've experienced the presence of God. See, all of us in this place, we have received an invitation. But just because you know the songs, just because you know the story, doesn't mean that you've stepped into the presence of Jesus. Every one of us has received an invitation. Everybody here today, everybody who's listening, everybody who's watching has received an invitation, whether it's from a friend or a mentor or a parent or a child or or a scripture verse or, or a prompting in your own heart. We have received an invitation into the presence of the king, and we have a responsibility, we have a calling to go into the presence of the Lord. Luke 5, 32 says, I have not come to call or to invite the righteous but sinners to repentance. It's an invitation to a changed life, changed inside and out. Matthew twenty two fourteen says, For many are invited, but few are chosen. All of us have been invited, but few of us accept that invitation. 2 Peter 1.10 says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Don't put it off. Do it now. What is your response to the hope of Christ? The shepherds sought Jesus out. We're not told too much about their experience in his presence, but we are shown the aftermath in verse 17. It says, when they had seen him, the, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. Verse 18, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Verse 20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. I think our calling is, is twofold this season. Number one, to get in the presence of the Lord. To get in the presence of the Lord. And number two, to proclaim the presence of the Lord. To proclaim the presence of the Lord. We see this cyclical pattern in this scripture. It starts with proclamation, and then it goes to invitation, and then to confrontation, and then back to proclamation. It starts right there, and it ends right there. To proclaim the presence of God results in a proclamation of the presence of God. Say, how how does that happen? Only if we are able to enter into his presence and experience his presence through the invitation. See, at the end of the day, this story is about nothing more than the honor that we experience by being allowed into the presence of the Lord. Getting into his presence means two things. Number one, It means creating margin. Just moments of margin to to spend time in the Word this season. It means creating moments of margin to appreciate the life that, that God has given to us and the people that He's surrounded us with. Creating margins to pray and and to seek the Lord. But number two, it means being present in His presence. Being present in His presence. Let me explain. Being present with my family means that when I'm driving with, with the kids in the car, I'm not spacing out and thinking about other things. That means I, I turn the radio down and, and I engage in a conversation and, and I'm present in their presence. It means that when I'm having lunch with a friend, I, 
I keep my phone in my pocket. I don't put it there on the table. I'm not glancing at the notifications or, or the buzzing of the phone. I let them know that, that their, their time matters to me, that, that they mean that much to me. You can be here on a Sunday morning. You, you can be here with your family. You can spend time in God's Word, but that doesn't mean that you're fully present. Are you present in His presence? We are called, and one of the greatest honors we have received is to come into the presence of the King. In 1967, Dr. Edmund, excuse me, Dr. Raymond Edmund was the president of Wheaton Bible College. And he gave his last sermon. It was titled, Entering the Presence of the King. He had just had the opportunity recently to go over to Ethiopia and spend time with the emperor or the king of Ethiopia. He was so impacted by that experience that he had to come back and, and share about it in his sermon. And so he talked about how he had to go over early and how he had to prepare himself to, to learn all these different things before he entered. And so then he, the time came, he came in, and he first stated his invitation, and then he had to receive confirmation in order to come forward. And then he had to stop halfway, and he had to get confirmation again, and hopefully then he would gain an audience with the king. And he talked about the parallels, about how to come into the presence of our king, we need to be prepared. We need to humble ourselves before him. We need to understand and, and have a reverence for the invitation that we have been given. That to enter into his presence, there is no life-giving thing in the world than to be in the presence of God. Then as he was talking about all this to the students, about halfway through his message, he, he leaned over, he fell to the ground, and he passed away right then and there. It was a sudden moment. It was a, a shocking moment. But what happened that day is, is the students didn't leave the chapel. They, they stayed in the chapel and they began to seek the presence of the king. They stayed overnight and there were these all-nighters and, and there was a revival that broke out on the campus of Wheaton. And professors began to teach differently. And students began to learn differently as they experienced the power of God. See, something happens in your life in your midst, in your community, when you enter into the presence of the king. To enter his presence shouldn't be taken lightly. It should be taken understanding that we are called to a level of reverence. Yet the beauty is this. There are many different ways to enter into his presence. If you're here today and you are well spoken of and you're well put together and you got things happening in your life and you got a lot of resources, guess what? You're not excluded. You're able to come into the presence of the king and you are invited to kneel down and to bow before the king. But guess what? If you've got nothing, if you've got very little to offer, if you are beaten and you are bruised and you are down and you are humbled and you don't have much in your hands, you are invited to. His invitation isn't one-dimensional. It doesn't exclude any one of us. He desires that all of us would come into his presence. The, the shepherds. Why were the shepherds chosen in this unique story? Why were they called out? It wasn't who they were or what they had done. 
It was that they had received an invitation. They had been invited. They didn't receive a physical gift, but they got the greatest gift of all, and that was to enter into the presence of the Lord. The soul felt its worth. I pray that we would do the same. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your presence. I thank you that Christmas is about the invitation that all of us have been given. Not just some of us, but we've all been given the invitation to come and enter into the presence of the King, the Messiah, the Savior. His name is Jesus. And God, I I pray today that those of us who are followers of Christ, that we would create those, those moments of margin where we are present in his presence. That, that we cast aside our distractions and we understand that, that we can be in your midst. You can work in our hearts and in our lives and we can find the joy that our soul longs for in your presence. But God, I, I also pray for, for those here today who, who are not followers of Jesus. God, I pray that they would receive that invitation that you have given to come into your presence, to accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their life, to be able to have the promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit so they can know wherever they go, your presence is always with them. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Christmas. We pray this in his name. Amen.